2 Samuel chapter 4. Remember last week we had a whole bunch of names? I said, oh my gosh, you guys, there's so many names. You can get collector cards or baseball cards or whatever and keep track of all of them. We're going to have a couple more this week. And they're even different names depending on what translation you have. <laughs> so I, if, I've, if that's come up already, it's, it has come up already with the translation you have in the pews and maybe with the translation I have up here. But um, this begins with Ishbosheth. And Ishbosheth might be called Ishbael. And there is just, you can get books and books and books and read all about why it should be Ishbael and why it should be Ishbosheth on both sides. And I don't know that it really contributes anything to what we're going to talk about today. <laughs> so just assume that Ishbosheth and Ishbael, they are the same guy, and assume that it doesn't matter which one they go by. But he was the son of Saul, and he was the only son of Saul that was still alive, except for this other guy, which we're going to talk about in a minute. So Ishbosheth was probably young adult, uh, probably not very old, because he would have been fighting with Jonathan. He would have been fighting, and we don't really know why he wasn't fighting. So he might have been right on the edge of the age-wise, and he becomes king when Saul Saul is killed, Jonathan is killed, Ishbosheth is the heir, and he becomes king. He's not really a tough guy. Which goes to, it might be because he wasn't very old. And so Abner, who was the leader of Saul's army, even though they all got wiped out and a whole bunch of them died, he, he still survived. So he ruled. He got killed, right? By Joab, stabbed in the stomach in the entryway of a building. Joab said, hey, come here. I want to tell you about something. Killed him. So Abner dies. Abner was like the, the real leader, where Ishbosheth was kind of the figurehead that looked like he was the leader, but Abner was really running the show. When Ishbosheth, Saul's son, heard that Abner had died at Hebron, his courage failed and all Israel was dismayed. It says everybody was like, oh, well, now what? It's so awesome that he wasn't killed by David. So if David killed all these guys, if David had killed Saul, if David had killed Abner, then it would be easy to see that David is just killing people off rising to the throne. But remember what happened when Abner got killed, David grieved, had this huge funeral procession made the guy that killed Abner lead the funeral procession in the front and cursed him and cursed all of his kids and all of his generations forever to show that that wasn't the way he wanted to do it. And as far as we can tell, that wasn't the way David wanted to do it. And so there's, there's a theme developing around David that there's stuff that he wants to do and he is still a man after God's own heart, and he is still seeking the Lord. And there are other people that are doing things that aren't the way that he would prefer to do it, but they aren't ruining everything. 
they're not totally messing everything up. I always, whenever we talk about Joshua and Caleb, I have this little, this little part of me that's just like, oh, there were 12 spies that Moses sent into the promised land. The fact that those 12 spies were sent was already a sign of their lack of faith. Because God said, go into this land and take it. And they were all like, oh, I don't know if we should. It might be dangerous. It's a little scary. And so Moses is like, okay, look, I'll send 12 spies. And you, as you read it, you kind of think Moses is thinking, I'm going to send these 12 spies. They're going to come back. They're going to be like, oh, yeah, we're going to kick all these people's butts. Let's go. And they're going to fight. But it backfires. And 10 out of the 12 come back and they say, oh, it's worse than we thought. We're like grasshoppers. They're like giants. It's terrible. And Joshua and Caleb are like, you guys, we have the living God. We have the Red Sea. We have the 10 plagues. We have Passover. God will fight for us. Joshua and Caleb, about a million other people, make the decision against Joshua and Caleb's faith and against their wishes, and they ruin it for Joshua and Caleb. But they don't ruin it for God. So all these other people do this thing, and Joshua and Caleb have to wait for 40 years before they can taste some of that good promised land food. Can you imagine that? Like, We had a lady come to our farm stand one week, and she had bought collard greens from us like a week or two before, and she came back and she just started crying. She said, your guys' collard greens taste so good. I have not tasted collard greens like this since my grandma cooked them. And like she tried to cook, get them at Schnooks and cook them the way her grandma cooked them, and they didn't taste right, right? It just couldn't be, but something about ours just tasted just like grandma's. There's a couple other things you've probably tasted. And you're like, oh man, I would love to taste that again. Joshua and Caleb, that's just a little hint of what they wanted was the promised land. And they had to wait. Can you imagine 40 years of manna thinking about this grape that you had while you were sneaking around spying, right? Ah. But God's plan didn't get hurt. God still ushered Joshua and Caleb into the promised land. They still took it. Caleb has all kinds of land, like we talked about, where David is living. So all these other actors, all these other characters in this kind of start to mess things up for David, but they don't mess it up for God. That gives me a lot of hope. I, sometimes, you guys, the Lloyd Expressway is going to be berserk for like the next 10 years. That might mess up your plans. That will not mess up God's plans. I don't know what God's plan is for the Lloyd Expressway, but just think about that every time you see an orange barrel. God's plan will not be dismayed. So all of Israel was dismayed. Now Saul's son had two men who were captains of raiding bands. The name of the one was Banna, and the name of the other was Rechab. Sons of Remen, a man of Benjamin, from Beeroth. For Beeroth is also counted part of Benjamin. The Beerothites fled to Jittim 
and have been sojourners there to this day. All right, so we got these two guys and this really long introduction. These guys may or may not, like where they're from might not matter, it might not. But they're basically, remember the Gibeonites? The Gibeonites we talked about, they got the moldy bread, they got the worn out clothes, and they went and met Joshua, and they said, oh gosh, we've been traveling for forever. Please have mercy on us, make a treaty with us. Joshua made a treaty with them, and they lived right next door. Surprise. They couldn't kill them. At some point, we don't have the exact account of it. We just have people talking about it. Saul went and killed a whole bunch of Gibeonites, which violated all kinds of treaties, made the Lord look bad. God did not like it. These guys could be kind of related to the Gibeonites. And so what they do next might be motivated as revenge. It could be motivated by a couple ways. So they're the Berethites, and they fled and they went. Okay, there's this other guy, Jonathan, son of Saul. He had a son who was crippled in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel, and his nurse took him up and fled. And as she fled in her haste, he fell and he became lame. So five-year-old kid, five-year-old son of um, Jonathan. So his grandpa is the king. He's five. Nurse says, we got to get out of here. They're going to kill all of us. They're going to get us. She drops him, busts his legs all up. Now he's crippled. That started when he was five. But then verse five, we go back to the sons of Rimmon, the Berethite, Rahab and Bano. They remind us of what their names were. They set out, and about the heat of the day, they come to the house of Ishbosheth as he was taking his noonday rest. So from now on, whenever you take a nap during the middle of the day, I want you to know that you're living like the king of Israel. Just praise God, you can take a midday nap just like Ishbosheth. Well, I hope not just like Ishbosheth, but like a king. So these two guys come in the heat of the day. They come while he's taking his nap. They come in the midst of the house as if to get some wheat, and they stabbed him in the stomach. What in the world? So that's um, Azael got stabbed in the stomach by Abner. Abner got stabbed in the stomach by Joab. Now Ishbosheth gets stabbed in the stomach by Rechab and Banna. Then Rechab and Banna, his brother, escaped. When they came into the house, as he lay in his bed in his bedroom, they struck him and put him to death and beheaded him, chopped his head off. They took his head and they went by way of the Arabah all night and they brought the head of Ishbosheth to David at Hebron. So these guys, you got, a, you got a couple things going on here, right? We got a couple of balloons floating around. They mentioned Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth is the grandson of Saul and he is lame in his legs since he was five years old. You've got Ishbosheth, who's the reigning king, who's just lost all of. Oh, he's like, oh, I lost my army, I lost my family. Like, I'm just gonna go take a nap. So these two guys that sneak in to kill him, 
if they snuck in, if they kill this guy, we'll, we'll just go back to Leviticus, right? This is the rules that Joab lived by. If somebody kills somebody that you're related to, you are the avenger of the blood. And it's your job to track them down and kill them because they killed one of your kinsmen. Unless they make it to a refuge city like Hebron where you can't kill them. These two guys, they're like, let's kill Ishbosheth and take his head to David. Because our boss Abner has been killed and we're the leaders of smaller units of the army. Maybe they were trying to become higher-ups in David's army. Maybe they were trying to get David's favor from something. They weren't afraid of the kinsman redeemer or the kinsman avenger coming after them because the only avenger of the blood that Ishbosheth has is this crippled little kid Mephibosheth. I think that's why that's mentioned in there. That's what, Mephibosheth, we're going to meet him in like three more chapters and he's going to come up a whole bunch more. But I think he gets mentioned here because these guys weren't afraid of anything. They didn't have anything to be afraid of. There's no more kin that are going to avenge Ishbosheth for getting killed. And Abner, the leader of the army, isn't going to protect him because he's dead. And they have their own armies that they're in charge of. So they kill him, they take his head, and they bring his head to David to show off. Down in verse 8, they brought the head of Ishbosheth to David at Hebron, and they said to the king, Here is the head of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul. Now, if it stopped right there, you'd be like, Oh. Listen to how they describe him Your enemy who sought your life. The Lord has avenged my Lord the king this day on Saul and on his offspring. They think that David wants vengeance. Do you remember? David is a man after God's own heart. He wants, he wants to think and feel the way God thinks and feels. Jesus comes and he is the son of David. So there's some ways that David achieved that. To think and to feel and to act the way God feels and acts. And so when these guys say, the Lord has avenged my Lord the King this day on Saul and on his offspring. I don't know if these guys really think that they're speaking for the Lord. There's a lot of times that something can happen and people will be like, oh, God is helping you out. God has shown you, you know, God has done this, God. And it is great to give God honor and to give God thanks, like, count our blessings like Martha played that song to to count and be thankful it's another thing to say this is God's will to make this happen because now we're presuming that we know what God's will is and I don't know about you but I take it seriously when it says if a prophet prophesies and the prophecy doesn't come true he should be stoned to death that makes me say, whoa, I don't know that I want to say what is God's will and what isn't God's will. I want to thank God for things, but I don't want to say this is the will of the Lord. This thing that I want really bad. <laughs> I'll just take out what I want and put in the word God and now it's religious, right? No, 
David answered Rechab and Banna, his brother, the sons of Remnon, the Berothite, As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life out of every adversity. Don't you love that? The very first category, the very first characteristic that David uses to describe the Lord is not an avenger, is not a justice enforcer, but a redeemer. The Lord who has redeemed my life out of every adversity. When one told, when somebody told me, behold, Saul is dead and thought he was bringing good news, I seized him and killed him at Ziklag. Did, was it really him? No, it was one of his henchmen, but he is taking credit for it. He was responsible for it, right? Which was the reward I gave him for his news. How much more when wicked men have killed a righteous man in his own house on his bed, shall I, shall I not now require his blood at your hand and destroy you from the earth? If I killed that dude for killing Saul in battle, in warfare, how much more am I going to do to you since you have, they've told him the story since you snuck up on a dude lying in his bed and you just killed him, just in cold blood. How much worse is that? There's a whole bunch of commentators that all pound on this phrase, you've killed a righteous man, that David does not call him the king. Remember all the places that guys wanted to kill Saul and David said, I will not kill God's anointed I will not kill God's anointed. David is not mad at them for killing God's anointed because God, David does not refer to Ishbosheth as God's anointed. He doesn't consider this, he's not mad at them because they killed the king. He's mad at them because they killed a descendant of Saul that he wanted to not kill, and because they killed him in cold blood while he's laying in his bed. How much more, when wicked men have killed a righteous man in his own house on his bed, shall I not require his blood at your hand and destroy you from the earth? And David commanded his young men, and they killed them, and cut off their hands and their feet, and hanged them up beside the pool at Hebron. But they took the head of Ishbosheth and buried it in the tomb of Abner at Hebron. So when Abner died, ah, David tears his clothes. He tells everybody, especially you, Joab, you get in the front of the line. We're going to have this funeral procession. We're going to grieve. We're going to mourn. We're going to have this whole thing. And we're just really going to show this is terrible. This is wrong. What in the world? Y'all are still killing people. You're still stabbing people in the stomachs. These two guys show up carrying a head. People would have heard about this. People would have known about it. If David responds positively, who knows how many people are going to be out chopping off heads and bringing them to David. Oh, you know, he got, he got a castle. You know, he got a big pot of gold. He got favor. He got a cabinet position. Whatever. David's like, this is not how I'm going to be king. 
So we're going to show you another way. If you didn't get the message that we're not doing vengeance from that big old funeral procession and all the grief of that, now I'm going to show you we're going to hang these guys' bodies up in effigy to show is a curse on anybody that, that acts on revenge, that, that tries to build a kingdom with vengeance. Like I said earlier, the Joshua and Caleb thing, other people ruined those guys' chance for 40 years, ruined their, their taking of the land. But 40 years later, they were able to take the land so much that Joshua stopped taking the land and Caleb said, whoa, 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 there's still this whole section up here that's mountainous and full of giants. Can I have it, please? And Joshua said, it's yours. You can have all the giants and all the mountainous regions you want. And Caleb went and took it. All kinds of things are happening here. David knows he's going to be king. He's already been anointed by Samuel. He knows he's going to be king because all of this land, all of these promises from God, as you read through Psalms, you can read the Psalms that David wrote and sang while he was running from Saul, while he came to Hebron, and while other people were fighting to just make this some big political thing. And he, he just wanted to let God rule, let God reign. And he was going to be the actor, the, the participant in that. And so, if you've got a Bible out and you see the heading of chapter 5, which is what we'll talk about next week, David anointed king of Israel. God finally will accomplish what God has wanted to accomplish for a long time. Actually, I should say what the people wanted God to accomplish, right? Because God never wanted the people to have a king. The people said, give us a king, give us a king. He said, if I give you a king, he's going to take all the best of your women to be his wives. He's going to take all the best of your men to be his soldiers. He's going to take all the best of your land to be his land. I'm your king. And all the people said, give us a king. So after a second try, first try was Saul, Second try is David. We're going to start to see, as we get closer to Easter, what the real king looks like and how he works and even how hard it is to be a, um, a human on earth king. Because it, it won't all go the best for him. So, let's pray. Lord, thank You so much that You have such mercy on us that even when Israel wanted a king and you didn't want to give him one, you still gave him one and you gave him a really, really, really good one in King David. Lord, I thank you for all the ways that King David is showing us how to build a kingdom and how you want to build a kingdom and that it's not through vengeance and that it's not through bloodshed. And I pray that You would help us to internalize that, Lord, to see in our daily life, we're not, we're not even thinking about stabbing people in the stomachs, but 
There's other things that we do that are our fleshly, worldly ways, and we don't want to do it that way, Lord. We want to build Your kingdom Your way because we want it to be Your kingdom, not ours. We thank You and we praise You, Lord, for making us a part of it. We love You so much. Amen.